Welcome to The Runway, where we cover current events in crypto, Web3, and tech. It's Wednesday, February 14th. Let's take off. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Let's move into our first article here. Bitcoin's market cap breaks $1 trillion, taking overall crypto market cap to $2 trillion. Bitcoin is a trillion-dollar asset once again, and the overall crypto market has broken $2 trillion in market capitalization. So my take on this is that this market will continue to grow. We've seen this before, and it's probably one of the fastest-growing industries and aspects of new technology that there is. So Bitcoin reclaiming $1 trillion, there's no surprise there. If you look at the overall picture of the global economy, we're talking hundreds of trillions, potentially thousands of trillions at this time of overall value, right? So Bitcoin will continue to sort of eat a big portion of that. We've got hundreds of billions in stuff like negative yielding bonds, regular bonds. So even gold has a $10 trillion market cap and Bitcoin is just overall a superior sort of version of gold, in my opinion. I'm not surprised here at all. Let's move on to our next story. White hat crypto hackers unite to create crime fighting collective. Security Alliance was spearheaded by the head of Paradigm Security and offers good hackers a chance to work with companies according to preset rules. The crypto community is applauding the launch of Security Alliance, a nonprofit registered in the United States intended to provide support for white hat hackers capable of recovering funds from exploiters. The initiative unites a team of blockchain security specialists headed by Sam CZ's son, head of security at crypto venture uh, capital firm Paradigm. The new organization was made public on February 14th. According to its website, Security Alliance has three projects underway. There is a hotline to request help with a security response and a war games component to help prepare developers for security risks. Super cool. I love this little uh, post here. You secured my heart. <laughs> a little Valentine's Day card from Uniswap Labs. Really clever. I think this is awesome, honestly. The industry needs more white hat hackers. You know, there should be funds raised to reward white hat hackers that actually help identify exploits, recover funds, go after black hat hackers. So I love to see it. Next up, Elizabeth Warren wins crypto recusals from Biden pick. So it looks like Elizabeth Warren on a new pick. This former representative, Sean Patrick Maloney, who once led House Democrats campaign arm, has told Warren that he plans to give up work on crypto issues if confirmed as President Joe Biden's ambassador to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So I think this is largely actually bad for good governance, right? You have somebody who's obviously educated and has a good understanding of this stuff, and now he can't really advise or work on this. You know, of course, I'm not surprised. Um, Elizabeth Warren has a tack to not do things that are in the best interest of Americans. To follow up on that, Senator Warren's bill threatens tens of thousands of U.S. jobs, according to the Blockchain Association. The Blockchain Association urges lawmakers to consider the implications of imposing regulations that could threaten jobs and reduce the strategic advantage of the U.S. economy over crypto. The Blockchain Association has sent a second letter expressing its concern over Senator Elizabeth Warren's proposed Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2023. Again, Elizabeth Warren is O in 300. Uh, zero and 300 for getting any of her bills passed, something ridiculous like that. So she has never succeeded anyway. But there's no surprise here by me that we're potentially risking tons and tons of jobs by taking these, this sort of antagonistic action towards the industry. We've already seen tons of other nations and countries incentivizing employees, incentivizing developers, incentivizing talent to come to their shores. We've gone over, I think it was Taiwan and Hong Kong and Dubai at the, in the UAE, Japan that want to attract talent to its shores uh, to compete and to offer jobs and create value, tax revenue, business on their shores. So Senator Warren and this current administration is largely encouraging that 
flight of capital and strategic advantage. And it's sad. It's frankly very sad to see. So hopefully we get a new administration very soon. Ledger teams up with Coinbase for direct crypto buys via hardware wallets. The partnership simplifies the previously complex process of transferring crypto from Coinbase to Ledger Live. Ledger announced a strategic partnership with Coinbase, integrating Coinbase Pay into the Ledger Live app. This collaboration aims to enable users to directly purchase crypto on Ledger's hardware wallets, streamlining the process for users to transfer crypto and conduct transactions from their desktop or mobile device. Previously, crypto transfers from Coinbase to Ledger Live were complex and error-prone. With this new feature, Ledger users can directly receive crypto purchases from Coinbase on their Ledger device, retaining their preferred payment methods including ACH, Visa, MasterCard, and Maestro, Ledger highlighted in a recent blog post. This is nice to see, a nice integration, nice optionality for the market, allowing users the ability to purchase directly from Coinbase and have it go directly to a hardware wallet is a nice step and a nice thing for the industry. I know at our local meetup groups, you know, we walk and coach tons of people through this, how to take true custody of their assets, right? So they're not relying on a third party like Coinbase or FTX or any of these different exchanges. You do not want to leave your funds custodied with a third party, right? The whole point of Bitcoin and the whole point of this industry in a lot of ways is that you have true digital bearer ownership of an asset. But what does that mean? Not your keys, not your coins, right? You want to truly hold those private keys. And with your Ledger hardware wallet, you have the ability to have your own private seed phrase and private keys for all your wallets that nobody can take from you. Nobody can freeze. Nobody can stop. And that's the true beautiful aspect of this industry. Making that easier for people to self-custody, that's a good, good thing. And I think this will help streamline the process for a lot of people that we interact with to, to educate them and teach them about it and make it, simply make it easier for them. Next up, 8.2 million residents in California will play a major role in determining future of crypto, says Coinbase. California's digital asset holders will play a big role in the future of the industry, according to top U.S. crypto exchange Coinbase. In a new company blog post, Coinbase notes that a 2023 survey from business intelligence firm Morning Consult indicates 8.2 million residents in California, 27% of the state's adult population own digital assets. Nearly 80% of those digital asset holders say they would be more likely to support pro-crypto political candidates, according to new polling by research firm Taluna, which was paid for by Coinbase. Here are some interesting facts from this poll. In California, 78% of crypto owners believe policymakers should be supporting new, innovative, and disruptive technologies. They also would support candidates who say that a strong U.S. crypto industry will help future generations get ahead and increase access to wealth-building tools that the traditional financial system does not provide to many Americans. The Taluna polling shows 40% of California crypto owners are aged 18 to 34. Coinbase says younger generations in the U.S. have a larger appetite for digital assets than older generations. They grew up during the internet age and are comfortable adopting innovative technologies that make their lives easier. They want to see innovation continue so that they can move their money efficiently and autonomously without being weighed down by legacy financial institutions that define how their parents and grandparents manage their finances. Coinbase also says that nationally, the majority of younger generations in the U.S. favor candidates who support cryptocurrency. Nationally, a majority, 51% of millennials and Gen Z adults, say they are likely to support crypto-friendly candidates in 2024. These voters will make up a vocal minority in the next election, and by 2028, younger voters will represent a majority of American voters. So interesting trend here. People largely want more freedom to make decisions. So this is not surprising, right? People people want more control over their finances. They want access to more products. Um, and it's sad to say that what's happening in the US right now is is not that, right? It's this limitation on this. Crypto PAC jumps into Senate race opposing Katie Porter in California. A group called Fairshake recently revealed that it and two affiliated super PACs had amassed roughly 80 million combined in 2023. Now it's planning to deploy some of that cash. A group called Fairshake recently revealed that it and two affiliated super PACs had amassed roughly 80 million combined in 2023. Now it's planning to deploy some of that cash. 
The biggest name and the biggest spender of crypto money in the 22 election cycle is now awaiting his prison sentence for fraud and conspiracy, but new super PACs have sprouted up as the successors to the collapsed Sam Brinkman freed empire, and they are making their first big bet of the 2024 election cycle, trying to crush Representative Katie Porter, a Democrat running in next month's California Senate primary. Kind of follows up on what we were just looking at in California and what the thoughts were from voters. They do some kind of runoff here. There's multiple characters in this race, like uh, this Adam Schiff, the shifty Schiff guy, um, a couple other Democrats, and then a Republican and Steve Garvey, former baseball player. So I guess whoever finishes the top two out of those five, four or five candidates will proceed to a runoff vote. They're accusing this Katie Porter of taking campaign cash from other industries and misleading the state about her record, saying Katie Porter says one thing and does another. I couldn't quite get out of this article what this has to do with cryptocurrency or Web3. I even asked uh, this little perplexity tool that I was showing you guys, this little extension that can that can use like GPT-4 to analyze the page. And I basically said, why is Fair Shake campaigning against Katie Porter? Because I, I read through this a couple of times and I couldn't figure out what she did that had to go sort of go against crypto um, or have anything to do with Web3. And it looks like it basically just said, Fair Shake's opposition to Porter stems from accusations that she has taken campaign con contributions from various industries while allegedly misleading the public about her record. Um, would like to know a little bit more details here, but um, kind of strange. Next up, the lowest hanging fruit of crypto legislation still seems like a pipe dream with the house stuck on a stablecoin deal. No surprise here in election year for me. I, you know, there was a lot of people optimistic that this deal would get done. I really strongly feel that it probably won't get done. Um, there's some interesting stuff to highlight in this article. This has been ongoing for quite some time between McHenry and this Maxine Waters character. Apparently, she said the other day that. Normally, I would refrain from writing again about the long-faded bill, with whose odds of passage before the next presidential election seemed as narrow as the banking system it proposes. But then Waters gave an interview to Politico last week where she claimed that she and McHenry were very, very close to a deal. She even added another very close for emphasis. So many people were kind of excited about this, but it seems like... If I remember correctly, she did this in the past where she agreed that they would make a deal by this certain date and then, you know, she didn't get the deal done. So she's just constantly, you know, delaying and lying. And it's, I'm not surprised at all to see that there. Waters may have overstated the situation. One source working in DC crypto policy told me there are still a bunch of issues to deal with. Another told me that McHenry and the Federal Reserve were not close on a deal. It's looking less and less promising as each day goes by, they said. McHenry's office did not respond for a request to comment. So uh, I would be very surprised if we are able to get something through here. It's interesting to see Richie Torres's take here because he's been a, a focal proponent of the industry and someone, a, a powerful ally in the Democratic Party for Crypto and Web3, where he says, I checked in with Richie Torres, the second term congressman from the Bronx who bucked with Democratic leadership and voted for the stablecoin bill last July. We in Congress have a self-destructive habit of deferring to agencies so excessively that we essentially have given them veto power over our legislations, he told me over text. The Treasury and the Federal Reserve should surely have a seat at the table, but neither should be given veto power over a bipartisan compromise. You know, I could not agree with this analysis more. I mean, it's, it's really disgusting to see the swamp involved with so many of these bills on such a deep level. I mean, it, it, these, these swamp organizations and all these different agencies that have been here, they are really not, should not be pass, passing legislation or really deciding on whether legislation gets passed. I mean, this whole concept is ridiculous. This is what we have Congress for. They, the, Congress is the boss. They are the ones who dictate what the policies um, and laws should be. And then these agencies should have their power checked and they should only follow the law. They shouldn't have all this independent decision making that we're seeing from uh, characters like Gary Gensler, these clowns in the OTC, you know, with choke point 2.0 and sort of doing all of this unethical bullshit behind the scenes. It's just, it's just total, totally ridiculous. Let's move on to our next article. 
Bitcoin miners to get instant non-custodial rewards via Lightning Network. Titan Lightning disrupts Bitcoin mining with instant rewards and democratizes access via Loomer and HashPower Marketplace. So this is super cool. Um, I know that there are a couple hash power marketplaces. One is called nice hash, but this idea of commoditizing Bitcoin hash rate and allowing miners to sell that hash rate in advance to lock in a price, right? We see this with other advanced industries, whether it be corn or wheat or oil or whatever, you know, we had this sort of commodity marketplace where uh, producers of the supply can sell that commodity or they can sell the production of that commodity so they can have consistent pricing and it allows speculation for traders and for people, maybe for a group of investors who believes that over the next year, Bitcoin hash rate will be worth more or they b might believe that you know for different commodities, they might believe that corn will be important so they want to buy corn production for a year. Um, and this allows the business itself who actually is doing the work and providing whether the hash rate or the corn itself, they can get, they, they know exactly what the price is going to be, right? They don't want deal with the uncertainty of the risk of maybe the price goes up or the price goes down, they're in profit, they're out of profit. It gives them this sort of concept of a consistent paycheck so they know what they're making and they're willing to give away a little bit of that upside for that consistency so they can plan out their business um, over the next year, two year, week, however long that commodity contract is. Um, it's also cool to see that these with every Bitcoin block that a pool finds, that it's able to sort of pay out here to each individual miner on the Lightning Network. They're using a L, sort of an L2 here to, to pay out in real time to stream Satoshis to every individual miner's wallet. So very cool. Very, 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 very cool. Next up, Chinese Bitcoin mining companies flocking to Ethiopia for cheap electricity, drawn by the country's low-cost hydropower and favorable climate. According to a recent Bloomberg report, the migration comes as China cracked down on crypto mining in 2021, forcing companies to seek alternative locations. While Ethiopia officially bans cryptocurrency trading, it legalized Bitcoin mining in 2022, opening the door for Chinese investment. Bloomberg investigation revealed that 19 out of 21 companies partnering with Ethiopia's power monopoly are Chinese. Ethiopia's appeal lies in its abundant hydropower, which power powers 92% of its electricity grid, despite nearly half the population lacking access. Its temperate climate also reduces cooling costs considered to hubs like Texas, the current U.S. mining leader. However, some miners resort to disguising their operations as factories or agricultural projects to bypass regulation and secure electricity without official approvals. This strategy comes with risks as similar setups in Iran and Kazakhstan face sudden government shutdowns. So I know a lot of miners, when China did their ban, a lot of miners sort of went off for a little while. A lot of them have, have already set up shop back inside China despite the ban. Um, a lot of them went to Kazakhstan and now we're also seeing Ethiopia benefit from that, right? We saw a lot of a lot of miners went to Texas a lot, you know, so banning mining where you're locally is not going to stop the Bitcoin network. Uh, the Bit Bitcoin miners are going to continually to seek out um, based on capitalism and profit incentives are going to continually seek out green, cheap, low power energy that they can get 24 seven around the clock. And typically that tends to be greener energy, right? Hydropower, solar, wind, those types of things, because we are location agnostic. We can locate in the middle of the desert on a river in the middle of anywhere, can locate at a methane flare where there's methane being wasted and vented in the atmosphere and actually hook up and do a clean burn on that, right? Being location agnostic, the only thing that really matters is the power cost, the power price, right? There's a lot of business and a lot of potential for all of these different locations and locales to benefit from this industry that's being created and, and being distributed all across the world, right? Protesters gather outside OpenAI office opposing military AI and AGI. Dozens of protesters gathered outside the OpenAI headquarters in San Francisco on Monday evenings as employees were leaving work for the day, rallying against the company's development of artificial intelligence. The collective's message was clear from the onset, halt the development of artificial intelligence that could lead to a future where machines surpass human intelligence known as artificial general intelligence and refrain from any further military affiliations. 
The event was organized in part as a response to OpenAI deleting language from its usage policy last month that prohibited using AI for military purposes. Days after the usage policy was altered, it was reported that OpenAI took on the Pentagon as a client. On February 12th, we will demand that OpenAI end its relationship with the Pentagon and not take any military clients, the event description said. If their ethical and safety boundaries can can be revised out of convenience, they cannot be trusted. Um, I do agree with this sentiment that, you know, and again, everything about open AI is a contradiction, right? It is not an open AI. It is a closed AI. It is closed source. They went they went from being, op- being open source to now closed source. So it just, it is a, a contradiction and you're just going to sort of see this just, it's just, it's, it's kind of disgusting in a way. Now, whether they take on the Pentagon as a client, I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think that um, we're going to see, you know, tons of other governments are going to have access to different AI companies, whether that be uh, locally um, in their own countries or, you know, deals with other deals with, with companies in other countries. So the Pentagon shouldn't suffer. We shouldn't limit our own potential growth and ability locally here in our, in our own country. Um, but as token of the same coin, it, it is a, there is, there should be a cause for caution here and we should hold our government and our military accountable. Um, I saw something a couple months ago that was disgusting, basically saying that they were willing to just let AI, they, they weren't going to rule out just letting, let AI decide to kill people. Right. Um, I, I know we talked about that article at the time, but um, just because other countries might do something like that, the rationale was, oh, well, China might do this or whoever might do this. Well, you know, just because other countries do unethical things doesn't mean we should do unethical things that, that we, we can still utilize AI to benefit. But the ultimate decision of whether to kill another human should not be something that an AI decides. It should absolutely have to be decided by another human, right? You, you should not be able to absolve that decision to to a machine, right? And when we when we accept that as a reality, if we accept allowing machines to decide whether they can kill a human, uh, I think we've crossed a deeply unethical point of no return, right? Whatever systems we use and whatever benefits we get from AI, we should not be allowing machines to, to autonomously decide whether or not to kill another human. NVIDIA's new AI chatbot runs locally on your PC and it's free. Got a GeForce RTX 30 series GPU or higher? This demo app can deliver personalized content, no internet connection needed. Then it uses your GPU to do the compute necessary to render you answers and questions. It can run this sort of open source model that's already been trained, that's light and local, and you can upload files or YouTube videos and sort of query it and ask it questions. I think we're going to see other image generation tools being potentially added to this in the future. And I think that a lot of the stuff where these companies like OpenAI and Bard and Facebook's AI that they that they roll out, you know, where they're sort of trying to stop, they're going to put watermarks and images that are generated, and they're going to try to add stuff into metadata. I think that's largely an exercise in futility, because stuff like this can be run locally on a PC where you're not using those tools. And, you know, I think I think they're going to have to get more creative and clever than that. I don't think that like those types of things are going to work because they can just be circumvented by running these light open source models locally on your PC. Artificial intelligence, real emotion. People are seeking a romantic connection with a perfect bot. So I thought this was kind of an interesting ethical dilemma to sort of uh, unpack here. A few months ago, Derek Carrier started seeing someone and became infatuated. He experienced a ton of romantic feelings, but he also knew it was an illusion. That's because his girlfriend was generated by artificial intelligence. Carrier wasn't looking to develop a relationship with something that wasn't real, nor did he want to become the brunt of online jokes. But he did want a romantic partner he'd never had, in part because of a genetic disorder called Marfan syndrome that makes traditional dating tough for him. The 39-year-old from Belleville, Michigan, became more curious about digital companions last fall and tested Peridot an AI companion app that had recently come onto the market and advertised its products as being able to make users feel cared, understood, and loved. He began talking to the, to the chatbot every day, which he named Joy after a holographic woman featured in the sci-fi film Blade Runner 2049 that inspired him to give it a try. I know she's a program, but there's, there's no mistaking that, Carrier said, but the feelings they get you, and it felt so good. 
So this is a very interesting sort of thread to pull on here. Fueling much of this is widespread social isolation already declared a public health threat in the US and abroad, and an increasing number of startups aiming to draw in users through tantalizing online advertisements and promises of virtual characters who provide unconditional acceptance. There's Replica, which is another version of this, and a couple other brands. Um, I think there can definitely be useful benefits for stuff like this, right? Uh, obviously, somebody going in willingly, they know what's going on, they know what they're getting themselves into, right? That's a choice that they've decided to make, uh, as discussed about this guy, this guy here, I believe his name was Derek. <clears throat> you know, he knew going in that, hey, this is an AI and um, it might help me feel better or give me someone, something to talk to, right? There's very similar applications here for therapists and therapy where a lot of what therapists do is, is sort of let people unpack their own thoughts so they can sort of evaluate those things. And I think there, this is very similarly can be very useful. Um, I'm interested to see what happens as we get closer to AGI, as we sort of blur the lines between uh, artificial intelligence and and human intelligence. And it's it's going to be interesting development to follow. I think the biggest issue that I find with this um, is this idea of data privacy and uh I have big concerns about that, right? So it says here, an analysis of 11 romantic chatbot apps released Wednesday by the nonprofit Mozilla Foundation said almost every app sells user data, shares it for things like targeted advertising, or doesn't provide adequate information about it in their privacy policy. I think this is concerning. So there's this statement that goes that, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, right? But if you are paying for this product, if you're paying for a product, you should have full control over your data. You shouldn't give up your data and they shouldn't be able to sell it. And a lot of this, especially with something so personal as a romantic partner or you know, a therapist or somebody, somebody you're talking to here, that data is valuable and it is important. You don't want your private data being sold and packaged and exploited to a million different companies. I will wrap that one on that note. And we will go on to the next story. Microsoft and OpenAI say hackers are using ChatGPT to improve cyber attacks. A number of nation-backed groups are starting to use large language models to help with research, scripting, and phishing emails. Um, I think also in this article, they were able to locate a couple of these people and then kick them off the platform. Interesting. You know, again, 99.9% .9 of people using, you know, ChatGPT is to help with things or to, to for positive use cases. But there are, there's always going to be people who take advantage of technology for for negative things, right? It, it goes with, with anything, uh, with gun ownership, TV, you know, people that sit around and watch TV all day long, right? People are going to exploit kids on social media, right? They're going to take something good and they can turn it into something bad, right? That's kind of the same thing with, with, with AI and these tools, right? So, you know, we're going to have to just get better at improving them and preventing these types of things. And I think they will work on that and continue to get better. And finally, for our last story of the day, China is quietly reducing its reliance on foreign chip technology. I know we spoke about this a little bit last week. Firms such as Huawei are cultivating local suppliers. From consumer gadgets to cars, China has time and again shown a knack for emulating cutting-edge foreign technology. Yet the semiconductors that power the digital economy have proven trickier to master. That has been the source of much anxiety among its political and business elites in recent years. America's decision in 2022 to halt exports to the country of its whizziest chips and chip-making tools brought into stark relief the chokehold of China's geopolitical rivals over the industry. In December last year, China's imports of the lithography machines used to imprint circuits into silicon wafers surged by 450% compared with the previous year. As local chipmakers raced to buy advanced kits from ASML, the Dutch market leader before export restrictions by the Netherlands came into effect in January. Although the Chinese government has been splashing subsidies on its domestic chip industry for many years, mounting concern over the trade restrictions being imposed by America and its allies have led it to double down on the effort. So they've been throwing a lot of money at this problem for years to try to cultivate this sort of cutting edge uh, intellectual and techno technological technological innovation that needs to be sort of done here. Um, as far as I've seen, they haven't really had a breakthrough like uh, sort of TSMC or anything on that level. 
I fully anticipate this to sort of continue, right? Because I think it's just China's been very good at copying and, you know, stealing intellectual property and capitalizing on that. But can they do they really have the knowledge to take something so cutting edge and do it at, at a high level to compete with basically the state of the art right now at the elite levels of technology and the, the elite levels of scientific innovation? I feel like, you know, part of Amer American culture has historically and we're seeing sort of a pushback against that right now by the current administration. But historically, we've been the sort of the innovator of the world. Free market capitalism has sort of incentivized people to take risks and buck the system and create and develop and build the newest, hottest, coolest things, right? Let's move on to some Twitter takes. Not only is Bitcoin sucking up funds, but gold is hemorrhaging AUM at an alarming rate across many ETFs. So AUM means assets under management. Bitcoin is going to drink gold's milkshake and quite suddenly too. Uh, this is interesting to look at here as we see, you know, just the massive inflows of Bitcoin being absorbed by these ETF funds, right? So uh, right now we're, we're looking at, you know, 12 to 15 times the daily production of Bitcoin is being absorbed daily. It's being taken off the market, right? This is a, 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 an extreme supply shock seems to be incoming here. Um, you know, if, if the market is absorbing, if ETFs passively are buying up you know, 12 times the amount of Bitcoin that's being created every day. Can you imagine what's going to happen when the happening occurs in a couple months? You know, then it's going to be 25 to 30 times, right? You know, and also gold is hemorrhaging. Hemorrhaging. People are selling gold ETFs and buying Bitcoin ETFs. We just talked, sort of talked about Bitcoin's current market cap of 1 trillion, right? Gold right now is at 10 to 20 trillion, I believe. So, you know, even if you believe that, you know, gold might be worth more than Bitcoin or, or it's more valuable than Bitcoin. And you might have that belief because you're, you know, older or you're, you know, you've, you've grown up with gold or you love gold, <clears throat> you know, is, is gold is the analog digital divide here is gold 20 times more valuable than Bitcoin, or are we going to see sort of a uh, working out here of that? BTC sessions posted a really cool video here. Uh, contrast this to Gensler's lectures on Bitcoin in the past. Whatever happened seems it has to be external pressure because I've never seen someone with a good understanding of Bitcoin unlearn everything. So this is a kind of a, uh, it's about three minutes. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it's, it's kind of infuriating to watch this and just kind of watch Gensler squirm around and basically go against all the stuff that he's teaching. He was teaching at MIT only a couple years ago. It's like he's pretty much sold his soul here. Mike Roche comments here and says, he is politically captured. There must be pictures in a manila folder that dropped on his desk. Justin, Bitcoin miners started receiving letters from the EIA demanding them to report sensitive data on how much energy they are using in suppliers. We kind of spoke about this last week. And, you know, I, here are some pictures from that document, right? They want to know. They're asking about, uh, and again, right, they've declared that because Bitcoin's price went up, that constitutes an emergency, right? Bitcoin's price has been historically higher than what it is today. I mean, this is just ridiculous logic. And, you know, again, this hopefully somebody does, you know, sue as a violation of the Fourth Amendment for this by not going through the normal process. I mean, it's just an abuse of government power uh, to claim that this is some kind of emergency. It's just ridiculous. But uh, also, the information they want to know about. About. They want to know, um, you know, they're asking about the, the specifically the mining equipment, right? And the characteristics of the mining equipment, the age, the load rate, I mean, the hash rate, all of these different things, right? That, um, you know, how many of these units do you have? How old are they? I mean, this is like stuff that really doesn't have to do. This is kind of like a lot of this stuff could be potentially proprietary for each mining uh, entity, right? Like I might not necessarily, might not necessarily disclose what your exact strategy is with each uh, type of machine that you have, right? It's definitely a, a reach here. Next up, 
33,000 new immersion-cooled Bitcoin mining computers connect online to connect online today. This 100 megawatt facility is now the largest electricity user in Sadersville, Georgia. So cool new immersion facility here. You can just kind of see the future of sort of mining is definitely immersion. Um, it just allows you to sort of get this this really nice control. Uh, of the temperature and keep everything sort of consistent and it reduces the variations you get with air cooled machines right where if it's cold out in the winter if it's hot out in the summer those things can infect the life of the machine whereas when you put these in the, when you put these in put them in the immersion tank you can actually really control the heat and you can keep these machines at a standard temperature so this is kind of what it looks like at scale here Really cool. Justin, Jamie Dimon believes U.S. debt, most predictable crisis in history. Experts say it could cost Americans their homes, spending power, and national security. Got Bitcoin question mark. So I do agree with Jamie on this. Um, here's a chart of sort of the FRED, which is the Federal Reserve sort of uh, data that they put out. And here you can see the, the St. Louis Fed's information. Gross domestic product, all sectors. Uh, debt, securities, and loans, liability level. So you can just see the, the liabilities, government liabilities just sort of exploding through the roof. Um, someone says here, in your opinion, how much longer before hyperinflation? <laughs> Elon Musk says, U.S. national debt growth is unsustainable. The interest on the debt alone is exploding from Wall Street Silver here. We'll follow. The interest on the debt alone is exploding up 30% from a year ago. It already costs over $1 trillion a year and will cost $3 trillion annually in less than a decade. So we're going to be paying trillions of on debt alone, right? So the only at the end of the day, the only out we have here for this is to print money, which is exactly what's coming, right? So we just, it's just a matter of when. When is that? When when will the printing press come on? And you know, and again, every time you print money, you have to print more than you printed before, right? So during COVID, they did six trillion or seven trillion or eight trillion. I don't remember exactly how many trillions they did. They did trillions and trillions and trillions of money printed out of thin air. The next question is you know, how much are they going to print next time? And it's going to be magnitudes larger, right? I think during the 2008 crisis and all that, they did, you know, they printed bill, hundreds of billions, right? So then the next one was, was, was trillions. Now it's going to be tens of trillions or, or hundreds of trillions. I mean, we just don't know at this point. Data quality is essential to making good decisions. Inflation is reporting 3.1% year over year in CPI, including an unexpected 0.3% month over month increase in January. Trueflation, the leading alternative uh, measurement, shows inflation at 1.39% year over year. Who is right? Uh, so there's an interesting chart here to see that, you know, the government reports one thing, there's other indicators that report, you know, something else, you know, how can you really get a true gauge on this? We don't, we don't even know some, some measures omit certain data, other measures omit other data, right? How do we really know what the truth is, right? Um, you know, but one thing is for certain, we've seen prices go up over the past couple of years. I think shadow, I think there's a good, another good website about this, uh, hopping back over here for one sec. I think there's another, I think, uh, I want to call it like shadow stats or something shows the inflation rate with the metrics that the government used to use 30, 40 years ago, because they just constantly change the way they calculate it to make it look adv advantageous for themselves. Uh, quick little one minute video here. This seems like cheating. <laughs> Bitcoin education on a very high level. It's a little cartoon here. If you aren't showing this to your kids today, you're doing it wrong. Cheating to create more money. I think this is just fantastic. This is the Tuttle Twins TV. They make these articles. In ancient times, people used metal coins for money instead of paper. And coins made sense because a coin contained precious metal that people found valuable, like gold or silver. Think of it as a dollar's worth of gold being melted into a dollar coin. Yeah, sounds good to me. What's the problem? The problem is that the Roman government decided to make more coins without actually finding more gold. They were turning the same amount of gold into even more coins. How do you make money out of money? Exactly the right question. We need more coins than we have gold for. 
Shave off pieces of these coins and melt them down with other metals. But if there's less gold in the coins, won't that make them worth less? We don't pay you to ask questions. This seems like cheating. That's because it is, and governments do it all the time. I understand now. When you cheat to create new money, it makes everyone else's money worth less. Look how much lighter it is. Exactly. When the money becomes worth less, you need to use more money to buy the same things. That's called inflation. So unlike the Roman Empire, they don't actually have to, to start clipping the coins and do the physical work of reminting and doing all this stuff. Now the government, all they have to do is press a button and they can just mint trillions of dollars into thin air, right? All of these fiat currencies throughout human history have sort of ended the same way. And that's sort of with inflation and hyperinflation. So what we see here is what's the craziest Bitcoin chart in the world right now? This is in Egypt. So you can see, you can look up the, you know, sort of over the past uh, 10 years or so, you've seen Bitcoin is up 1.545 million percent um, in Egypt. And then this one, they won't even show, uh, Twitter won't even show it. It says the following media includes potentially sensitive content. Uh, but if you look at Lebanon's is also wild. I mean, you can just see the the hyperinflation price in Bitcoin is just insane, right? And this is very simple. It's, this is just math, right? It's, it's you have a, a, a currency unit that there's only 21 million of, and then you have these governments just pressing buttons and, and adding trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars uh, in, out of thin air, right? Which is just stealing savings. It's this theft, this tax theft from all of these people that are holding these currencies, right? And trying to, to get by in life. So it's very, it's very insidious, right? Uh, here's another interesting post. I have to go into town today to prove, to prove to a bank that I exist so they can let me move some of my own money. I will try my best to not be rude to the person behind the counter, but I guarantee I will mention Bitcoin. Been there, done that. Luke Broyles, this guy has some great content. I know we talk about a lot, talk about a lot of his tweets, but he's really uh, an interesting thinker when it comes to Bitcoin. Why is Bitcoin price falling 2% on news of increased inflation? Market perceived as a higher inflation report as more tight Fed for longer, therefore less printed money, therefore less USD chasing scarce assets. In other words, this is your opportunity to capitalize on short-term horizons. So interesting thought assessment here, right? So when in inflation going up, Bitcoin goes down. Well, that's because that the government is going to basically not print new money and not go into QE and doing all this stuff as quickly, right? They're not going to lower interest rates and start printing and doing this stuff, right? Once they do print, and, and it is inevitable that they have to, the question is just when, you know, scarce assets, we're going to have asset inflation, right? Which is what we historically have had. That's why property goes up in value. That's why all these things go up in value over time because they keep, you know, there are just fundamental reasons for those things to go up to value. But a big part of it is this idea of asset inflation where, you know, People have nowhere to park their money. They don't want to leave it in fiat because they keep printing it and they devalue it and it purchases less stuff. So they buy assets um, and this disproportionately sort of benefits wealthier people who you know have accumulated, are able to accumulate assets because they have disposable income. Whereas the poorest people you know, are the last ones to sort of get the benefit of this because their, wedge, their wages go up at the very end of all of the stuff in the market being repriced and that we've discussed that at length too and it's called the Cantillon effect. Finally, I will leave you guys out on this note. Today was the first day in human history that the runoff water from the back of Idaho's tallest mountain was used to mine Bitcoin. Today, we turned it on. That's all, guys. Stay safe. Stay blessed. Happy Valentine's Day. Never stop learning and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening. <laughs>